0: Hi everyone, and welcome to the special simulcast of the Neil Haley Show and Celebrity Interviews live from the Grotto with Greg Hanna. Greg, what's going on, man? How are you? Doing fantastic, Neil. How about yourself? Fantastic. And I'm sure you've talked about to topics about JFK so many times in your life and wondering, and this guy has so much knowledge and he has some secrets to tell us tonight that will be for our audience. So our guest today is John Barber. And John, we appreciate you coming on the show and you're, you're a multi-Emmy winning Writer, producer, and director. And uh, you're going to be presenting John Barber and William Shakespeare's Last Word on the Murder of JFK. How are you, John? We're going to kind of get into your life and everything. Thanks for stopping by.
1: Well, I haven't heard anybody talk that fast in so long. And I am really, really delighted to be here. Honest to goodness. So, where do you want me to begin? I'm best known, I guess, as the godfather of reality television because I am the creator of the most original and first and most successful show in the history of television, which was Real People. And I had it from 1979 to 1982, and we did more good for America in those three years than 60 Minutes has done in 30 years. We got the Missing Children's Act passed, We got the uh, Navajo Code Talkers, a presidential citation from President Reagan. And just a couple of days ago, I was again honored because it was my story about a teacher whose son was murdered the first week in Vietnam who built a private memorial in the mountains of New Mexico where he and his son used to go hunting. It was that piece that helped get the wall built in Washington D.C. that nobody wanted, because first of all it was an unpopular war, and secondly it was designed by an Asian American woman who had two strikes against her. So I am monumentally proud of that, and it was because of that sh- that show I got to do the uh, interview that I did with Jim Garrison, uh, which was three and a half hours long talking to him on camera, September 5th, 1981. And we talk, actually talked for eight hours. And Jim Garrison told me and chose me to be his Boswell, even though Oliver Stone in 1992 had bought his book on the Trail of the Assassins for $50,000 and was making that outstanding film with Kevin Costner called JFK. And... Uh, on Jim's deathbed, Oliver asked him if Oliver could also make a follow-up documentary. And Jim Garrison said, no, I want my Boswell to be John Barber because he lost two of the greatest shows in the history of television trying to tell my story. And the first, Neil, was in 1970 when ABC started a local morning show 20,000 Chicanos, at that time there was a Fairness Doctrine, and 20,000 Chicanos were protesting the station, which they and they almost had the license because they didn't have representation on television. They didn't have it in education. They didn't have it in government. I was a very successful comic at the time. And a friend of mine who was a Chicano, the leading Chicano on television in LA, his name was Mario Machado, suggested I audition and I auditioned and got the job and I did not book Mr. Garrison on the show. Mr. Garrison arrested Clay Shaw in 1969. He went on camera and he had the information and the courage and the knowledge to say this, we have solved this crime. We have money exchanged We have the names of the planners and the shooters. There will be convictions when we get to trial. But for two years, the government stood in his way and wouldn't let him get to trial. And the media drummed all of us by saying that Mr. Garrison was a kook. And and listen, I came to this country when I was 17. I came and was deported twice. I was uh, born in the... Salvation Army Charity Ward in Toronto, two parents who didn't want me at six years of age. My father deserted us and went to the Second World War, what was easier fighting Germans than my mother, and at six, I was out on the street and and I, and I I fell in love with movies. Mr. Smith goes to Washington, Jimmy Stewart, okay, and so I decided that I was going to come to this country he was deported. Twice, and I don't want to get into that, but a lot of these stories are in the best book ever written about anybody in show business called "Your Mother's Not a Virgin: The Bumpy Life and Times of the Canadian Dropout Who Changed the Face of American Television." Now, the first time I talked to Mister Garrison is, uh, and I believed that the government went, was right; was he was a kook? I was in a bookstore called Edmonds on Hollywood Boulevard, I accidentally pick up a book called Heritage of Stone, Jim Garrison. So I read it. And Greg, I'm telling you, I was stunned with information I came across. I didn't see in the news from Huntley and Brinkley or, or Dan Rather or Uncle Walter Cronkite that he had to take time life to the Supreme Court to get the intruder film to show the jury and then there was a forensic pathologist named Fink called as a defense witness for Clay Shaw, whose name not, is not even in the Warren report. And he said under cross-examination, there was no autopsy because a general named identified as Curtis LeMay, a, a general who publicly hated John Kennedy stopped in and step, uh, stopped it. So I, I called him to book him. And he says, you'll never get away with it. And I said, listen, I have the most successful show, morning show in America. And the uh, the FCC commissioner at the time, who was 36 years of age, the youngest in the business, told the president of ABC, Leonard Goldenson, you have the smartest young man in America on morning television. And he sent me a, a note saying, Oh, I may have cost you your job because I don't think it's uh, smart in America to be smart anymore. And indeed, after I booked Mr. Garrison, I was canceled. But I didn't think it had anything to do with conspiracies. I was in show business and that and that was it. So now I don't want to, I know we only have 15 minutes and I'm trying to get to the final documentary, which is called The American Media. no. no. The final documentary is called John Barber's and William Shakespeare's final word on the murder of JFK. There's, so I I don't wanna, I know we don't have much time. This is so important because listen to me, John Kennedy is dead. And there'll probably be no media coverage and next year, none whatsoever. He is no longer important to America the only person important to America right now is Jim Garrison, because he was the only one who stood up and had the courage constitutionally to say that no one is above the law, which we all know is a crock of crap at this particular point. And ever since I started to talk to Mr. Garrison and do documentaries about him, I've been trying to raise $1 million for a scholarship at Tulane University to keep that memory of the bravest man in America in 100 years, who is Jim Garrison. So I put that on pause while one of you ask a question. And I'm (laughs) sorry, story I'm so passionate oh, about it. Oh,
2: I can see that. That's wonderful. It, you know, JFK was the first president that I was introduced to. Unfortunately, my memory only memory was sitting in my grandmother's sun parlor, I was 3 years old, watching her black and white tube TV uh his memorial service on TV. And that's that's my only memory back then of JFK live. Um and uh, so I have a question for you, uh, John. This is a this is a very uh, important subject, and so on. Why why do you think the the top one or three reasons are that, you know, JFK was taken out by the government?
1: Well, it was very very obvious in uh, in my second film called "The American Media and the Second Assassination of President John F. Kennedy." All the information and all the questions you ask now are in that film, that's only $2 on Amazon. The first documentary, which is called Simply the Garrison Tapes, is free on my site. In the second documentary, you will see him sitting with Walter Cronkite 30 days before he's murdered. And he said, now at the time, Eisenhower had put 1,200 so-called advisors in Vietnam which was our third fake war. Our first fake war was the Spanish-American War to th- where we killed 200,000 Filipinos. And uh, that was our first fake war. Our second fake war was the Cold War with Russia because as Jim Garrison pointed out, the Russians lost 25 million people. They lost 80% of all their infrastructure. And you might have remembered in 1960 when President Eisenhower who could have solved the problem didn't he went on national television turning all this over to John Kennedy and he warned us about the military industrial bankers complex and that is what has taken over this country. November 22nd was the day that not only did America change but the entire world changed. And it's a cold case in the Justice Department. Now, back to the reasons. John Kennedy sitting with Walker Cronkite and he said, no Americans by 1964, the date of the election, will be left in Vietnam. We will supply the arms. We will supply the bullets, but they're supplying the bodies. There will be not one American soldier there. And 30 days, they shot him. Now, a friend of mine, whose father was second in intelligence Vietnam, told me this story privately about the Bay of Pigs. He said, well, the Bay of Pigs was going on. Every intelligence agency in America was sitting Miami with a large Mac of, of Havana and every domicile and building and home in Havana. And every one of them was picking up where their offices were going to be. Because they figured Alan Dulles had talked John Kennedy over his objections. And a week before the Bay of Pigs, he's on camera saying there will be no American involvement in Cuba one week earlier. But anyway, he's bowled over by Alan Dulles, the head of the CIA. No, Castro will collapse if we invade in Cuba. so. He bows to that, and what happens? They're not having any success in Cuba. Castro is winning, and so Alan Dulles calls Kennedy and says, now it's time for the air support. And Kennedy said, you didn't listen to me last week? There is no American involvement in this. There is no air support. And my friend's father said, there wasn't a a general... Do you remember... um, that great uh, movie, Dr. Strangelove, that great big war room. And he said, it looked like that. There must have been 52 generals in there, black suits in there. Not one of them called him a son of a bitch or a bastard. He ought to be shot because they didn't offer the air support. And what did John Kennedy do afterwards? He took the blame and he fired Alan Dulles and he fired His assistant, whose brother was the mayor of Dallas when John Kennedy was shot. And guess who ends up being on the Warren Report? Alan Dulles, never challenged by the New York Times, which published the Warren Report. Now, listen, Jim Garrison, like me, believed the government. Here's an FBI agent. He is in the uh, Air Force. He's one of the first people at Dachau to liberate that death camp, okay? And until an accidental meeting with Hale Boggs. Do you know who Hale Boggs is? He was a former congressman who was the only descending member of the Warren Commission. And he accidentally met Jim Garrison and he said, "That you know, Jim, I'm a hunter. And I'm telling you that crooked Marquette a man, look at Krakeno, that Dago rifle with that that scope that don't work. He couldn't shoot a dead rabbit. And Garrison said, you mean? He said, yeah, that kid didn't do it. So Garrison got three sets of the war report, one in the office, mm-hmm. one in the car, and one at home and memorized them. And it was at that point that he took on the investigation only because one of the principal involved with the murder is Lee Harvey Oswald who was in new orleans and he was going to arrest david ferry who was in dallas at the time but then committed suicide so he arrested clay shaw before clay shaw committed suicide and the rest is history the, he lost the gar he lost the conspiracy case because the, the the jury thought what's the cia this is all james bond stuff to me i don't understand it Here's how smart Garrison is. He got us tax returns for 10 years, all stubs from the CIA. Still, he lost that. But he won the perjury case, the most important case. But the government stepped in and stopped that because Clay Shaw had a devious, devious homosexual lifestyle that Garrison did not want make public in the first trial because he knew that Clay Shaw, rather than have that revealed in the second trial, would jump up and say, yes, I was the handler of Lee, Lee Harvey Oswald. So now the third film that I did, now the, with the first film, I announced that I was going to, Oh my God, hundreds of thousands of DVDs. And I said, the first monies I make are going to a scholarship for Mr. Garrison. And Oliver Stone, Send me a three word note, count me in, John. But my partner stole the money. It's what happens in Hollywood all the time. And my second film is called the American Media and the second assassination of President John F. Kennedy, which will be around a hundred years after Oliver's wonderful film, every great book ever written. That you should see for $2. Now my son, is the executive producer of Criminal Minds. And he urged me to put the film up for $10 if I'm trying to make any money. And I said, no, I'm only going to put up for two because Oliver's going to see it supports his film entirely and recommend it to his million followers and I'll make a million dollars and Tulane will have it. But Oliver Stone remained silent. He just wanted to sell his stuff, not of mine. So this third documentary Which is called the American Media, uh, which is called John Barber's and William Shakespeare's Final Word on the Murder of JFK. Is there because the first two documentaries, fellas, are Jim Garrison getting for the first time in his life to tell his most American story about the murder of John Kennedy by our government? He went on the Johnny Carson show. You see it in our film, telling the audience he's murdered by our government. But the third documentary is a is a two part film in which I tell of my 53 years and over a half a million dollars of personal fortune that I spent trying to tell his story at the same time trying to tell this absolutely amazing Canadian rags-to-riches story about how I'm deported twice at 46, I'm unemployed, and at 47, I have the most original, most successful show in the history of American television, Real People. Gosh, you know, I'm so sorry. I didn't get to hear a question from you because... That's okay.
0: You're giving such information. I'm like blown away. So, Greg, go with another question, because I know, I mean, I'm just, if there was government involvement in Kennedy's assassination. I guess there's a government involved in a lot of things, Greg, that we don't know about.
1: Now listen to this, at this time, it's so interesting, you know, because of JFK's film, he got three years ago, the Records Assassination Act passed, three years ago, Congress ordered that in October, all the files be released. And it was at the time Trump was president and he's always uh, bullcrapping about, you know, a, a free press and all that that doesn't exist, you know, a fake press, he calls it. He could have used his pen and reversed the Communications Act and made it a free press. When John Kennedy was alive, there were 1,500 different owners of media. If you had a television station, you can only have five or seven of them, a radio station, five or seven. The worst president in history, Bill Clinton signs the Communications Act in 1996. And it's now all in the hands of five major corporations. Now listen, We all believe Dan Rather in 1963 when he says the bullet hits him and he's thrown violently forward. But we never see the Zapruder film till 1977 when Geraldo Rivera has Dick Gregory and Robert Broden on to show the real Zapruder film. Bang, he's going backwards. Five million people wrote to Congress and they were forced to create the uh, second investigation into the murder of John Kennedy, which was sabotaged again by the Central Intelligence Agency. But they found a dick belt on a motorcycle officer named H.B. McLean that showed that more than four shots were fired. So then what there is, is there's a conspiracy. Will I read this? Will I have the number one show in the country? Half of every, every, television set in America, half of them all were tuned to my show. So I read this and I call Mr. Garrison. He hasn't spoken to anyone but me for 10 years. And I asked him if he feels vindicated. He said, John, I feel like a blind man who got a small trophy in a very dark room and only I know I got it. And I said, well, I have the number one show in the country now. I'm coming down to tell your story. I went down there September 5th, 1981, put him on camera for three and a half years. It was like sitting with thesis, the Greek God of justice. I mean, what a powerhouse, okay? And then the producer of the show, a horrible human being and a thief, I won't give you his name, sabotaged the interview that was being broadcast and Jim Garrison had he sued NBC and slaughter would have owned them. And he just said, and I had it all recorded. And he said, John, our family just loves your show. If I, if everyone who maligned me, even illegally, if I took them to court, I would never see my family. I would never see my office, just me a couple of pe- real people t-shirts. And the next day I was fired. And that was why Mr. Garrison chose me over Oliver Stone, because I had risked everything to tell the truth. Oliver Stone didn't risk anything. As a matter of fact, uh, Jim Garrison's family sued Oliver Stone and Warner Brothers for their 10% of the profits, and they lost, which just shows you in Hollywood, the most talented creative people are the accountants and not the writers and the directors. And Jimmy Gardner, you know, Jimmy Gardner was a close friend of mine. You remember his show, Rockford Files? Yeah. Made billions. He sued for his share of the profits, made billions. And they told him it hadn't made any profit. He died of a broken heart, believe it or not.
0: Jimmy oh, my God. G- wow. Okay. So, Greg, I guess you have your final question, which I can't believe we're running out of time. And this is what we ask all celebrities. Go ahead, Greg, with your question.
2: I know I do. If you can answer this one question really fast and then I'll ask you my final question. My my one question really fast is what do you believe happened? Was it a, a long range rifle? Was it close range handgun? I mean, how was JFK shot?
1: Well, that was that's great because that's one of the questions I asked him. How many shooters? He said there were three teams. Two were behind the grassy knoll. He said, probably teams of three because uh, it was the most important kill that they ever had to do. So there was there somebody with a phone, somebody to pick up the shell. Nobody in the sixth floor, the book depository. And the other one was uh, in the Daltex building. However, and I didn't put it in the film because I didn't want to cause more controversy. But the gunshot wound, according to Dr. McClellan, was on this angle Mm. and clint hill who says in the Warren report there was a sound of an echo with one of the shots this is how smart garrison is so he goes to dilly plaza where could an echo come from there is a sewer just to the right and down below bang and i have pictures of what of one of his investigators in that sewer and taking a shot from there would be simple. But uh, Mr. Garrison didn't want me to complicate it too much because it was getting more complicated by the CIA inventing this phrase called assassination theorists. This is no theory. This is all proven fact. But that is an absolutely great question.
2: Thank you. Well, John, so I ask all our guests this one question, and um, I can't wait to hear your response. Um, What's the most important thing in life you feel you've ever learned?
1: You know what? Oh, my God, that's another great question. I'm going to tell you the answer. And it doesn't come from me. It comes from a very, very famous European general who was about 79 years of age. And it was uh, made available to me to one of the smartest human beings I ever met. I met very few geniuses, only two women geniuses. And she's a woman named Alexandra in Serbia, genius writer. And she asked that general the very same question. And his answer was life. The greatest thing in life is life. And, you know, quite honestly, I must tell you, the second time I was, I'm, I'm, I've i known more people who committed suicide who've died of natural causes than I'm 90 years old. And when I was 20 and going to be deported the second time and the FBI was knocking on the door, I was going to be out of America for the second time and I'd never get back. And I went into the bathroom and I just stared in the mirror, right? And I wasn't looking at me. I was looking for me. And that thought crossed my mind. And I immediately dismissed it because I thought, who would miss me? And I had already deleted my mother and father totally from my life. But I was so happy to be away from hell. And life was heaven. No matter how difficult it was, I just loved being alive. And I still do. And that's what I'm saying. I'll close with this. In the uh, Civil War, there was a 17-year-old soldier who was mortally wounded. And he knew he was going to die. And he wanted the last rites or a minister to talk to him before he died. And he says to the minister that comes over, he says, Father, he calls him Father. I don't think he was Catholic, but he didn't know what else to call him Father. You know, everything that I prayed for to God. None of it I ever got. But he gave me everything I needed. I Mm -hmm. could be that 17-year-old boy. It's just amazing. You know, I'm an agnostic, but in my book, I tell you a, a dozen and a half times, I have been the subject of what I can only call divine intervention. I mean, I've had a totally unplanned life. I planned none of it all of it was just a happy accident and, and in the more difficulty i had great right, sometimes somebody would pop me pop up and take me out of that difficulty and take me by the hand and leave. i mean it's just it's just been magical and i'm still doing it awesome <laughs> best
0: best place we can find info on you and your 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 documentaries and everything where can we go
1: Okay, you go to my website www.johnbarbersworld.com. You can see not only the first documentary for nothing, I was Frank Sinatra's private writer for four and a half years. When he did the Tonight Show, I did I was the first guest to do a stand up. If you go go and watch Red Fox was my mentor for my entire career. And I was the first one to put him on entertainment television. You see the roast of him on Dean Martin, where I appeared six times. There's me roasting Red Fox. And there are hours and hours and hours of the most wonderful stuff that was ever on television. It's incomparable. You're going to be blown out. The interviews, the stories, the humor. It's just a cornucopia of just wonderful stuff.
0: Fantastic. You're, you're amazing. What, what, uh, that's what someone that is still enjoying life, 90 years old, doing loving life and continuing to be successful. Thanks again, John, for stopping by.
1: Oh, Thank you, John. uh, Thank you so much. I'm sorry if I, if I dominated this conversation, but 15 minutes is not much time when I spent 53 and a half years doing this, but I am, I'm thrilled that I got to be able to talk to you. And as far as uh, you, uh, you know, and the business of your book publishing. Oh yeah, well,
0: John, we'll, we'll cut that right now, but we'll, we'll talk about you talk about it. All right, so that was Celebrity Interviews live from the Grotto with Greg Hanna. T- take care, guys.
1: Okay, bye-bye. Oh, John, John.